Welcome to In the Thick of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast with myself, Colin Lambert, and uh, in New York, P&L's editor, Galen Stops. Um, quite a lot on the docket this week, Galen. Um, I want to start off with a few announcements. First of all, listeners, we actually have our own blockbuster announcement of our own at the end of this podcast regarding In the Thick of It, so listening for that one. Um, I just wanted to make a couple, before we get into our um, agenda for the week, I just wanted to sort of a couple of shout-outs. Um, obviously, I'm based in Australia. This It's a pretty bad bushfire season down here. It's been horrific. And again today, they're looking at 40 degrees and high winds, so it's going to be another bad day. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout-out to Refinitiv. Um, so next week, three days' worth of their Aussie brokerage across all FX products is going to be given, 100% of it's going to be given to um Causes and um, bodies associated with bushfire relief, so well done, Refinitiv. Um, the other shout out I wanted to give is to um, Martin Mead. I don't know if Martin listens to the podcast. He certainly won't be next week because it's retirement, um, I believe, tomorrow is his last day. So uh, good on you, Martin. It's more than 40 years in FX, and some of us know how that feels. And I would say he doesn't look a day younger, but if any of you want to go onto YouTube and search out Billion Dollar Day video, um, Meadie does appear in that, and he looks a sight deal younger, and I would say he's probably <laughs> less healthy back then than he does now. <laughs> so uh, enjoy your retirement, mate. Um, niceties out of the way. Let's get down to the usual cynical, <laughs> the usual cynical yeah. stuff. So J.P. Morgan's fourth uh, annual e-trading survey was released yeah. um, overnight for me. Um, your daytime. Um, what's your key takeaways from it? Well, let me start off by telling you what everybody else's key takeaway was, which was everybody else's key takeaway that was that uh, the the most commonly cited day-to-day kind of issue or concern facing traders was uh, the availability of liquidity. 33% of respondents said that the availability of liquidity was their biggest concern, which kind of got the headlines everywhere. And considering it was, you know, 14 percentage points higher than the next biggest concern, was a worthy statistic, but I feel like a lot of people had amnesia because they forget that actually 40% of people cited it as their top concern last year. So, yeah, you know, I don't know what to I mean. Do you think that that actually liquidity availability has declined as a as a concern for people, or and so, so this is the thing because they changed slightly the survey, they broadened it out, so it went from being 200 people to, uh, they said over 650 people responded. So I, I don't know whether this data shows that actually the availability of liquidity is, is less of a concern for the market, or whether because there's just more people responding to the survey, naturally the responses are kind of dispersed across the different answers and available more. What do you think? I think it's, I mean, I think it's um, certainly the fact that there's more people involved in the survey including, I think it was, what was it, 11% of the respondents traded FX occasionally. Yeah. So they probably, and I think if you're, generally speaking, if you're like at the corporate treasurer um, level, you're probably not worrying about liquidity as such in terms of, you know, trading liquidity. Um, obviously, they worry about their cash flows. Um, so that would maybe dampen it. I think the bigger survey sample, I mean, you know, it's good that they they're, they're increasing the sample size, it would have been probably helpful to know what the difference is between the views of the 200 from last year, or as many of them yeah. as possible. I think that could, that could maybe give it a good insight. Um, I actually do think that um, people are 
more concerned. What? More concerned? That's an interesting one. People are at least as concerned about the criticism as they were a year ago. It's a, it's a constant obsession because, you know, as I've said to you, as I've bored you with so many times, the definition of liquidity is, is you know, you can do as much as you like when you're wrong. Because, yeah. You know, when, when the market's going against you, the challenge for liquidity is the minute the market starts moving with you, um, then liquidity becomes a challenge for you. Because if you know, you're trying to jump on top of a, of a steamroller that's already doing 10 miles an hour down the road, down the hill, it's, um, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And you know, especially if you look at the market nowadays, you've got different mechanisms to make it harder for you to jump on that. I mean, back in the day, it would have been a question of you had to get someone to make you a price. I get that. But as a customer, you'd pick up the phone and generally somebody would make you a price. Um, it might be skewed, but it would be a genuine price and you'd probably deem on it. Nowadays, you're getting shown prices and then you're getting rejected on it through last look. That becomes That makes liquidity even more of a worry, I think, um, because... You know, I was trying to work it out. I mean, I know reject rates for buy-side clients, uh, particularly the single-dealer platforms, are close to zero. Um, but more of these guys are using multi-dealer platforms, it strikes me, or they're putting their dealers in competition, so they're using more aggregation. Um, I wonder how much of that uh, doesn't, you know, is, is firm liquidity. And that may be the issue, is that most of the liquidity pools that these people are executing into is not, technically firm liquidity yeah there is still that chance of being rejected and you can guarantee that you'll be rejected on the one time you know you'll be rejected one time in a million but it'll be the yeah, one time you exactly needed to buy those dollars <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and all of a sudden yeah the market's a, the market's a big figure away and you're going like oh that hasn't gone brilliantly um and my you know my implement my implementation shortfall is going to look a little bit dodgy on that one um so i think yeah i mean i, I, I do think liquidity is a uh, is a is a, a big concern for people and i think it always will be because it's it's that natural angst of a trader you can have the best idea in the world but if it goes wrong you want to be able to get out of it immediately um, so for, and for, that's that's definitely that's liquidity for me i think personally the most interesting data point which we highlighted in, in our article on this was that you know while the kind of uh, most of the concerns cited by um, people in the survey, you know, the day-to-day -day concerns. It was kind of in order, liquidity of availability, workflow efficiency, then joint price transparency, best execution requirements. You know, those were all cited um, as big concerns in last year's survey. In terms of percentage terms, they all went down slightly. But what was interesting to me was that this year, 15% of people cited the availability of data as their biggest concern, which is the same amount that said best execution requirements and price transparency. Whereas last year on the survey, um, availability of data didn't even register as one of the top options, one of the top comments. I th well, first of all, how much do I not want to go to a dinner party surrounded by the people who think workflow efficiency is the most efficient and the most important thing? <laughs> Um, secondly, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, you're right. I mean, it's the, the, about a fifth of the market, mate. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> I've just dissed a fifth of the market and I will do so again. Um, I would say that the data thing I think is a reflection of the growing awareness of best execution, the need to re uh, measure best execution. 
Um, I think we've seen it in other surveys, and I think we, we know it anecdotally, don't we? We talk, you know, when we talk to people on the buy side, there's um, this growing awareness that you know they, everything has to be measured. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, the best execution can still be um, you call four LPs and ask them for a price and hit the best one, but you have to have an independent audit trail of those four prices that you got. Um, it could be, you know, you have to hit you know, the top of book, even if it's in half a million dollars, when you want to do 100 million. Um, whatever the policy is, there's been this big push now to actually sort of, I, I guess, justify the policy, you know, or ensure that you're following that policy. Um, and it's, you know, I, this, this I would reflect is the buy side finally getting on board with best execution. Um, and no doubt when the sheep do get go fully, fully, you know, fully herded together, <laughs> There'll be a load more of them next year doing it as well, because there's, alre- there's already, Galen, 85% of asset managers out there going like getting angst, not over liquidity, over the fact they're not doing the same as the other their mates. <laughs> I love your your really upset man. about it. Yeah. Um, well, so, so I think I think the point that you just made is actually backed up by the fact that, that one of the questions was about um, you know the the data tools that are most important for. Um, for kind of uh, best execution and basically all of the data services uh, cited they all went up 10 plus percentage points so clearly there is a growing focus um, a growing kind of demand from these buy side firms for these kind of data services linked to best execution I think we can pretty confidently say that in this data yeah I the thing that interested me in many ways is what wasn't in the survey, actually. And I, I think I'll put it on my LinkedIn. I think last it was it was getting a bit late last night for me. Um, <laughs> Seven thirty. All all uncles like to be in bed by quarter past eight, going as you know. Um, of course, of course. But yeah, it's what wasn't in the survey, and that was there was no comparison for algo trading, and there was nothing on mobile. Now the mobile doesn't surprise me too much because I think mobile is one of those things where um, it's a long way down buy-side firms' list of priorities to get authorised. Those that have done it love it, and I speak to a lot of people that would not, you know, they, they couldn't lead their life as well as they do if they didn't have access to mobile trading and mobile risk management tools. Um, yeah. So I suspect the mobile it, it isn't in the survey because nothing's changed on that, because I think that's a fairly static part of it. <laughs> the algo thing is, is interesting because obviously... Um, this has been a survey, as you've highlighted, that said, oh, more people intend to use algos. Yeah, we've and, talked about this before, um, yeah. Every, every yeah, year, it's, it's, it's around 30 40%, isn't it, are going to increase? Yeah, and this year, there was absolutely no mention. So either the 30% increase has happened, and therefore they think nothing else is going to happen with it, but I would have thought <laughs> you would have put that in there, or maybe the 30 40% last year um, suddenly decided, actually, no, we don't. Um, or you change the definition of algos. That was interesting to me, the fact that neither of those registered, registered in the survey as a, as, a, as a question to ask. Yeah, I, I think that is interesting. And we've talked about this before, where it, in, this, uh, in this particular survey, it's, it's always the thing that's coming, not the thing that arrives, it feels like. Oh, life is about what's going to happen next week. You know, it's like, you know, we, we both follow football teams in the UK, both of which will probably be in the championship next year. Um, uh, we speak always for yourself, about, mate. We, the mighty, <laughs> we always the mighty worry about the next... are in playoff contention. 
Yes, yeah, you'll be bypassing the, the less than mighty hammers on the way up. I think. <laughs> but I mean, we always think about it the next game. It's always about the next game. What's going to be the next big thing? We, we kind of ignore what's happening at the moment. Um, and I, I think just you know, market surveys are the same. Let's look for what's going to be you know big and fresh and new next year. Um, and it's probably not going to be algos, and it's probably not going to be uh, mobile. Um, both of but, which will we do continue know- to exist. We do know what it is, Colin, though, because uh, the survey tells us. 71% of traders believe that artificial intelligence and machine learning provide deep analytics for their daily trading activity. 66% believe that machine learning and AI optimize the trade execution. 58% of respondents think that it represents a good opportunity to hone their trading decisions. AI and machine learning, you you heard it here first, Colin. It's going to be the next big thing. Tell your friends. I did hear it. You know, you're right. I did hear it here first. I think about 18 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the, I, I, we should be that, surprised by that finding. No, but also that stuff always makes me uh, a bit sceptical. Now I'm sounding like you, Colin. Um, because <laughs> we've been doing this too long, mate. Um, I was going to say about time. <laughs> just because, you know, when people say AI and machine learning... Lots of people are, are taking fairly different definitions of what constitutes AI. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could argue that you know, if you if you trade off of a chart, technical analysis, you could argue that is AI because you know it's it's not you making a decision. It's, yeah, you know, it's the it's the data making a decision for you. Um, I, technology undoubtedly has to play a, a much bigger role in all this. It's just the way it is. Um, and that's why, I mean, I suppose actually you could look at it and go, if, if people are thinking AI, then, you know, algos use AI. Um, people yeah. are thinking data, well, obviously algos use data. So, you know, hidden away in the survey is probably the inference that a lot more people would use algos because if they're worrying more about AI and worrying more about data, then inevitably that does lead them down the path to algos. Um, but yeah, seventy-one uh, percent. I mean, it's quite a high number, isn't it? So I suppose it actually gives us something to look at. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's like I'm less fussed about what people are looking at ahead of you. Know, people think this time next year they'll be doing X. Is it, yeah, yeah. I, I think I know what I'll be doing this time next year, but I guarantee you I probably <laughs> won't because my lifetime numbers aren't going to come up. Um, <laughs> speaking of. Um, Knowing what we're going to do ahead of time, did you happen across the price action in Sterling ahead of the Bank of England announcement? Uh, well, this has I, been recorded Friday or Thursday for you, so earlier earlier today for you. It was a someone was a little bit naughty, I think. Uh, I, I did see the price action, and I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on what caused it. Uh, well, I mean, on the basis it was anonymous, I could probably say what I like. Um, for those of you not aware, and I have to, and, and I'd like to give a massive shout out again, as I'm giving shout outs today, yeah. to all the um, analysts that these retail brokers are incessantly bore me. Oh, sorry, send me um, their pieces <laughs> on um, on what happens in the markets. And all of them said, "Oh, Sterling jumped on the uh, Bank of England announcement." None of them mentioned the fact that Sterling actually jumped about 15 to 30 seconds before the announcement. So. As I understand it, looking at my um, data, about one minute less before the announcement, traded cable was trading at 1.302. Um, 
one second before the announcement, it was trading at 1309. So it's jumped, uh, sorry, 70. I think it jumped 50 points, I think, um, just before the announcement. So someone has gone out there and bought, and apparently on, one of my sources tells me on CME, there were like, there was a bid on CME. Someone, someone like went to buy 100 million sterling in the 15 seconds before an announcement when nobody's making prices. Um, now there's two things, there's, there's two ways around this. Um, there's the let's you know pussyfoot around the issue one and that is that um, someone's taking a punt and saying you know what I think you know because it was a 50-50 decision um, there was a sounds, big chunk of the market sounds very logical to me Some, someone was sitting on the fence they were going buy or sell buy or sell then they flipped a coin with like 20 seconds to go and then it landed yeah. they saw it and they, they bought it that seems the obvious the obvious conclusion that I reach uh, yep. isn't that how you traded Colin? Uh, well, sometimes you know, flip a coin. No, <laughs> look at the cranes out the window. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously there is an element of that involved. No, I mean it was it was a question of like you know. So if you're going to do that, why are you going to do it in the 15 seconds? And why do you want market impact? I suppose if you're looking to trade for a short period of time and you're taking a punt, then you're going to go right. Okay, let me try and ram this market higher, which they did. I mean, it went higher in the 15 seconds before the announcement than it did in the 15 seconds after. You know, it went 70 points before and 20 points afterwards. Um, it's, you know, it's an interesting one. I mean, I was, unfortunately, the uh, data I get isn't, I, I don't get second by second, but you do get minute by minute. Um, but I've asked a couple of people around, and they said what happened was it went up to sort of 130.90, then drifted lower. Sorry, went up to 130.75, then went down again. Now, this is all before the announcement. And it could be that is somebody taking profit. So it could be we had this. You may recall a couple of years ago with um, around some Australian announcements, and, and prior to that, around US announcements, there will be I these do, moves yeah. beforehand. And it could be that yeah, you've got someone particularly you know who thinks they can take advantage of this, and they've got very quick execution technology and access to great liquidity. They just take a punt and they go in. They go right, bang! Let's ram the market higher. If I can get this thing seventy points higher before the announcement. If it comes out as expected, I'm probably going to make money because I'll be able to get out of it for 30 points. If it comes out my way, I'm going to make money because the market will jump in front of me, and, and I'll be able to just feed my you know, my position back into the market. If it goes against me, I'm in a race against time, but I've got 70 points leeway before I start losing money on it. And every you know, and every pound I get out improves my average. Um, yeah, you know what? I, that's a very high risk strategy. If you think, if you want to take a serious position on it, then you do it beforehand. You do it five minutes before. If you yeah. want to, you know, mess around with the market, that's how you do it. Um, but it's isn't it funny how this is literally only weeks after we discovered that the Bank of England had a problem with an audio feed for their MPC yeah. press conferences. Um, I, you know. I gotta think this is a leak. I gotta think someone had a, had a, had some sort of track on what's going on here. And you know, it will probably it could be anything. It could be a coded message. It could be. I mean, we've all seen great spy movies. You know, you ring the sorry red sorry wrong number. I wanted you know X Y Z number, and that's your signal. Yeah. Um, I you, and I gotta say, I think it's pretty dumb on the part of whoever brought it up and. My understanding is the um, that several LPs, I've got three at least, have told me they've reported it to the FCA. 
because let's face it, everyone wants to be a good everyone wants to be a good child and report to the uh, to the parent what's going on, you know, what, their, <laughs> what their brother and sister's doing. Um, but no, I mean, really? so it's been reported Which to the FCA. Yeah, and you'd hope the FCA can look at it and go, okay, let's 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 do this. I mean, it's if you go to CME and Refinitive Matching, I reckon you will capture a big chunk of what happened in that thirty seconds. And I think you can probably, as a regulator, you should be entitled to get the name of the counterparties, and you should be able to go to those counterparties saying, right, why did you do that? They're very quick to jump on bank traders for you know, allegedly jumping in front of orders or allegedly you know, sharing information. Sometimes they did it, obviously. Um, they're very quick to jump on the banks about this stuff. Well, let's start looking at what happened elsewhere. You know, if this was a bank or a hedge fund, get and say, right, why did you buy it then? We want your decision-making process. We're your regulator. We have a right to do this. And if they're a U.S. concern, go to the DOJ and say, come on, this is happening on your watch. You know, don't worry so much about going after individuals who were thrown under the bus by their management. Let's look at who actually did this stuff and who's messing around with their markets. Um, so it strikes me we've, we've, we've got a really quick um, report on this. We all know it happened. It's not a huge amount of data. I mean, there was a, there was a, there's a, something we'll come on to in a minute, actually, this FCA paper um, on HFT looking at message traffic. You know, they looked at it over hours and days this stuff can be this stuff can be tracked so i think i, th- I think you know the fca needs to go to the platform and say right i need your data and i need the names or tags at least who are these people and then we can reconstruct the book and, and if there's a if there's something going wrong at the old lady then we'd, they'll know about it well colin i say i say colin lambert for for fca head you got my vote if that's how these things work <laughs> well they, they did announce this interim head last week didn't they but i reckon i've got him yeah. Can the I FCA head be based 13,000 miles away? I don't see why let's not. Let's parachute you in, have you crack some heads, go through everyone's trading yeah. records, rope the DOJ yep. in. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the... I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Go on. Well, I can say, speaking of the FCA, we... Uh, yeah. Uh, Uncle Colin was doing his uh, his grumpy thing on your in your column this week, um, which was about an FCA report. There were a lot of reports this week. Right? I'm not just making that up, right? There was a, an no. unusual amount of reports. Um, we haven't finished yet uh, on our reports. <laughs> I know. So, so there was an FCA report. It, it wasn't about FX, but but you kind of made some some points about uh, how it relates to FX. For people who, who were foolish enough not to read your column, Colin, do you want to maybe just recount what it was all about quickly for us? No, I can't remember. That was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to my age, you know, it becomes difficult. Um, no, I mean, what it was, um, was so some academics did a, a study on um, latency arbitrage. Now, they, I mean, so they came at it from a negative point of view. They're looking at working out how much latency arbitrage costs the market and they worked out it was um there were i think 537 races a day in every FTSE 100 stock so that's basically one per minute per stock um it lasted five to ten um millionths of milliseconds i think it was and the average race time was 81 microseconds all totally incomprehensible to me in terms of like you know, how do you how do you put that I normally work in, was it, it takes you a couple of milliseconds to blink or something. So 
And it was about 22% of overall trading volume. And they came up with a number and said, look, well, if you extrapolate this globally, it's $5 billion a year. This is what they cost. Now, $5 billion is a good headline number. I would actually argue they looked at just the UK data. And I think um, the US equities market is more fragmented. So therefore, there's probably more latency arbitrage going on there um, across exchanges. Um, but, you know, it is. That's what it is. So it's a big number. Um, but then you actually get to each trade, they worked out that the average win is worth two pounds. And I'm not talking millions. I'm not talking thousands. I'm not even talking tens. I'm talking two crisp English pound notes, if they still <laughs> had them. <laughs> which, so, which No, which, of course, they don't. Um, now, in what they did, it was interesting, because what they did, they, they tracked message traffic, not trade traffic, which is a little bit different. So you get, you get the winners and losers. Um, what did it tell me? Generally speaking, uh, I think the equity market structure is just horribly stuffed up um, because six firms, of all these races, six firms were involved in 82% of the wins and 87% of the losses. So in other words, you've got six firms literally trading with each other, I would argue. I mean, look, if you look at that, if you lose as many as you win, then you're probably trading with each other. So you've got six firms just trading with each other on speed. This doesn't add any value to a market. What's the point? They're, all they're doing is picking each other off. I mean, it highlights to me as well that, you know, HFTs don't want to trade with each other. And the reason it's two pounds, literally two pounds, is because these guys are pretty efficient. But all they're literally doing is sniping away at each other. Um, what value does that offer anyone? I just think so, it's just a... Yeah. So, Colin, if, if you if you were if you were in your role as, as new head of the FCA, you're parachuted oh, yeah. in to fix to fix the equity markets. What would you do? Yep. Introduce some sort of asymmetric latency mechanism to to stop this kind of arbitrage? I'm guessing. Uh, does that mean speed bump? <laughs> I meant last look. <laughs> um, no, I would not introduce last look. <laughs> Thank you very much for asking. Um, I, you know what? I, I think it, this highlights the value of um, some sort of uh, asymmetric uh, latency floor. You know, a speed bump. Um, make yeah. randomise it if you wish, or give everyone the same the same technology. And I think you, know, you also should have minimum quote lifespans in there, um, because that way you'll get people posting more genuine interest. Because what this is, is literally just blokes with microwave towers pinging away at each other. Well, thanks very much, everyone. The only people enjoying this are the exchanges. And this is kind of quantifies to a degree why the exchanges will never do anything, generally will never do anything about the, um, the speed bump issue and the fact that people are getting picked off. Because at some stage, these guys are going to be hitting prices that you know, your actual end investor wants to hit. Oh, so, you know, and, and they call it, I mean, you know, yes, it's Dow quote, so it's... it's sniping no matter who does it but no I, I would put the two together speed bump, quite speed bump look equities we're going to have so many emails about this podcast <laughs> I'm keep on trying to go away from last look there will be no last look in Lambert's FCA regulatory sandbox I need you oh, to yeah. know this okay there's no last look in my regulatory sandbox um, I can't wait to see what is in there <laughs> slab of beer um, TV in the corner. Just a dark <laughs> empty <hole. laughs> Yes, oh, that's just in my mind and my heart. <laughs> um, 
I know the interesting thing from this thing will be because obviously fixed income markets are between equities and FX. And I, so I put the uh, question in my column that, um, you know, fixed income are going to face some of these issues as the market structure changes. You know, a lot of this is driven by the re- what's happening in equities has been driven by regulators. And the regulators are now running fixed income market structure. Um, does this mean, and I'm afraid I think it does, they'll end up stuffing up the fixed income market structure the way they did the equities market structure? Um, that's what bothers me about it. But anyway, it's equities. I don't care. As we've already said, <laughs> I'm Uncle FX or whatever it is you call me now. Sorry, FX Geek. Is it? Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject of me running you know, regulatory bodies or whatever, when, as chairman of the FCA, I take over the GFXC as well, the Global Foreign Exchange Committee, um, because obviously I'm going to be going for a dictatorship, a total and yeah. totalitarianism is the future going. Um, uh, a, a dystopian dictatorship, I hope. Dystopian, yes. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever got the word dystopian in any of my columns, which I, I find hard to believe. I must have used it before somewhere. Um, just very briefly, I just wanted to highlight the um, Global Foreign Exchange Committee put out a couple of reports uh, last night in my time. Um, I've read in detail the algorithmic trading, and sorry, the anonymous trading uh, report. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but it, it struck me as being a little bit, hmm, okay, how much do these people really agree with each other? It was, it was a, I mean, it's a, say a big day for reports, as you said. We had the BIS Markets Committee put out a statement, or a letter, sorry, an open letter um, saying, oh, you know, um, yeah, we, we're happy with the code. It's making markets better, but we want more buy-side adoption, and we think you should look more at anonymous trading. And I'm looking at it going like, well, thanks very much, because isn't that what they've been doing for the last you know, couple of years? Um, to me, it just sort of said, uh, you know what? The central bank governors think this is important, so we're now putting our voice to it. And it could be used by the GFXE to amp up the pressure on the buy side to adopt. Do you think it'll have any effect? No. The GFXE, oh, sorry, the BIS Markets Committee reaching out for the no. buy side. <laughs> I re- I re- no, no is the short answer. Did you want more? Um, no. So, so I mean, like, we've been talking. So, so the code came out and it got a certain amount of adoption. It got a certain amount of traction, and it was all well and good. And we have central banks speaking at the events, telling us how important it is. But all I've heard for the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, is how we need you know more buy side, more buy side, more buy side. I haven't seen any buy side really rushing to do anything about that, despite. You know, I've already seen quite a lot of cajoling from mm. central banks and senior figures, and and it's not like when I talk to people on the buy side, this is something that they really bring up, or like I, I'm just not conscious of it being a, a kind of a top priority for them at all. No, I, I don't think it ever has been. I don't think it ever will be. The only thing I yeah. would say is I think if you've got the central bank governors now looking at this, then the regulators may also start having a look at it, and if the regulators start looking at, you know, the asset manager firms in particular, saying, like, well, hang on a second, you haven't really sort of done anything about this, then maybe you might get something in there. But I, but I, I take your point. I think it is, it, if we do it, it'll be, they'll be dragging and screaming across the line. Um, and I think it's maybe a problem with the code. I mean, it's one of those, it's, it's, the strength of it is it's principles-based, so you can't immediately set up a committee to get around the rules. Um, but the weakness is it can only offer guidance and it can only sort of cajole. Um, you know, I look at the anonymous trading report and it talks about, oh, you know, we think, you know, there should be 
a little bit more clarity around this and that, and around tags and around you know, last look and what happens. Yes, it's good. It's a good initiative. And we should stress this is only a, a report from the working group. But I think what people need from the GFXC now is recommendations. They need yeah. the GFXC to turn around and say, we think that tags should be provided for everyone on the platform. We think that if you offer, operate asymmetric last week in any fashion, it should be disclosed to the people who are not on uh, the norm. Um, and we're not getting that. And I think we're not getting it because um, there's not consensus on the GFXC itself about um, about what to do about it. There are people there that are defending last look. Um, there are people there that are defending asymmetric, asymmetric hold times. Um, there are people there undoubtedly, um, you know, defending the use of multiple tags or not disclosing all tags. Um, you have to ask the question, why are you defending a practice that, you know, the majority, and it, it's, not, it's not a huge majority, I'll, I'll grant you that, but the majority think is, you know, needs cleaning up. Um, so, yeah, I, it kind of makes me think that there's a, there's, there's a few challenges there for the GFXC in terms of getting real consensus. So that one will yeah. never run and run. It, it's it's kind of a a bit of a a, a difficult situation because on the one hand, you know, whenever any time you have a big, wide-reaching, diverse group, it it lends authority and power to what you're saying because you know you're saying it. You know, it's the industry speaking with one unified voice. The downside is it's really hard to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's hard to be forceful. Um, yeah. I mean, again, maybe the maybe the, the central bank governors, you know, making throwing their public weight behind it will help it uh, become a more forceful voice. We shall see. Anyway, um, we're nearly at the end now, so we now have to come to our bombshell, and you'll be pleased to hear, Galen, the pop quiz. So, uh, for listeners, actually, and for me, this is a sad day because this is actually your last podcast. As you leave us this week. Um, it, it is indeed. By the time most people listen to this, I will no longer be at P&L. And at this uh, point, Colin, I would, I would just like to say that um, you know, in the last few minutes of the podcast, if you want to have a cry at any point, you just go ahead, okay? It's, it's 2020, Colin. Men are allowed to cry now. There's no shame in it, okay? No, I mean, I'm in touch with that side, my sensitive side, mate. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> All um, right, good, good, good. But before before I cry, I thought I'd ask you, I thought we'd do a little pop quiz. So um, I'm getting on Google now. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I don't think you should. Um, so um, you're joining 360T. I am, yeah. Um, yep. So I thought what we'll do, we'll just see exactly how much you know about your new firm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think yeah. where I got the idea of suddenly surprising people with a pod, with a pop quiz from Galen. What was it? Oh, it might have been currencies. Yeah. Um, so anyway, are so you, are you, first question. Are you trying to get me fired before I even start, Colin? <laughs> well, yeah, I am going to miss you. What can I say? <laughs> so, why did 360T figure in our first weekly in the thick of it podcast? Uh, uh, because um, we decided. That their technology, their customer service, their management team was second to none, and we couldn't hold back from talking about it. I think that's how. I think that was it, right? Uh, no, it wasn't. Am I close? <laughs> no, you're nowhere near close. Um, let me give you a clue. It involved a deal. Uh, oh, uh, wait. When did we start doing this? Was, was it 
FX Auto Deutsche Bahn. When did Bahn. we start doing this? I'm meant to be the one that's old and decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait. No, what am I thinking? It was probably the GTX, right? Around that time? It was the GTX. I'm going to give you half yeah. a point for that. I'll give you half a point for that because you need the I, I groped. I slowly groped my way towards that one, didn't I? <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Um, how many liquidity providers does 360C claim to have on its um, trading networks on from its website? No looking at the website. Um, like all the best ones, mate. All the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely going to a marketing role, aren't you? <laughs> give me a number. Make a price. You'll be nothing, uh, in your new job. You'll be nothing. You'll be nothing without liquidity providers. How many of them do you think they've, they've got? Um, all right, I'm going to say like 200. <laughs> well, well checked on the website. <laughs> it's 200. Am I right? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! The network is used by how many buy side clients? I can't believe that. I, I thought, I, thought I was going to be made to look an idiot by being like miles off. All right. <laughs> no, it is two hundred. Network is used by how many buy side client organisations worldwide? So, sorry, my phone cut out. Can you just repeat that quickly? Yep. The network. Sorry, this is why you just type it into the Google. Yeah. The network is yeah. used by twenty. Uh, is, oh God. The network is used by how many buy side client organisations worldwide? Oh. Okay, this is going to be in the thousands. Um, like 4,000. Not quite. 2,100. Uh, okay, I was going to go I'm with 2,000. I'm still reading from the 200 nice LPs. <laughs> how many countries? They've got customers in how many countries? Um, uh, 150. Um, you're doubling up a lot of things here. It's 75. And then the, far, the last two, and I think this actually should have been part of your interview process. I was counting each state in the U.S. as a country, by the way. I get confused sometimes still. Oh, is that right? Well, to be fair, a lot of, a lot of states in the U.S. do think they're their own country, and most people have never left them, so you're not far wrong. Um, in what year was 360T founded? Oh, oh I'm going to guess 2000. You have no idea how much I hate you at this moment in time. <laughs> no, I, I, knew that, I, I knew that one. I knew that one. It was either 99 yeah. or 2000. I remember it being 2000 because yep. it was like a nice, even even thing. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, which German bank did CEO Carlo Kotzer work for before setting up 360C as a co-founder? Uh, um, oh, can you name me some German banks that aren't around anymore? I feel like this is going to no. be a trick question. It's going to be it's going to be one that like <laughs> disappeared before I was born, isn't it? This is what you're going to do. Uh, no, not quite. I'm only right. young, but it wasn't that. It was not that bad. Commerce. Is that your answer? Yeah. Go on. All right. I'll give you half a point. It was Dresden Kleinwall Benson. Oh, that was going to be my became, second choice. Which became well, it became commerce. So, oh, okay, so okay. I've got you down so there for um, two and a half points out of which, five, so that's which, not bad. So I, I think that's just Which is two and, a half, yeah. two and a half better than you thought I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might get one of them, but I'm gutted by, I'm gutted by the uh, 200 LPs. Anyway, um, <laughs> on a serious note, um, I do wish you all the best. I am going to miss you on this call, mate, as well as working with you. It's been a great five years. 
Um, good luck at 360T. No doubt our paths will cross. Um, it has been six years, I'm sure. Is it? I think you joined in yeah. 2015. <laughs> no. There you go. I miss you first year. <laughs> I can't remember this bloke was on all the calls. <laughs> Who's this other English bloke on the call? Is it an echo? <laughs> okay, well, it's been a great six years then. <laughs> Actually, I think our website's wrong. I think, I think the P&L website oh, might be wrong on that one. Playing the source it material, Colin. It doesn't matter because we're going to make sure that you know, you're going to be eradicated by the end of tomorrow anyway. <laughs> You'll never have existed <laughs> at P&L. P&L website will have no mention of you anywhere. Yeah, the best of luck at... Um, we should see mate it's been a, it's been an absolute blast um i am going to miss working with you um and so i guess on that bombshell rather than saying we'll be back next week it'll just be a question of i'll be back next week with um with a guest and we'll see how All we right. go from there thank well, you very much for listening to, to, to oh. listening to it <laughs> yeah the first thing you're going to do on monday morning is unsubscribe <laughs> <laughs> mate i haven't been subscribed to begin with <laughs> loyalty brilliant <laughs> thanks for listening everyone um and speak to you next week have a good week